Good morning. Since God shows you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing, and, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for its wisdom. And Lord, we pray that we might know you more through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. You can be seated. Uh, this summer here at Portland Christian Church at both the Stroudwater and Deering locations, we've been working through the letter to, to uh, the Colossian Church. Kalos was a city in western Turkey. Um, it, we, it no longer exists. We, there are some digs there, but it was probably obliterated by volcanic activity uh, a long time ago. The theme of our study over the summer has been Jesus is more than enough. And I, my prayer is that we've been able to experience that as we've been studying it. That Jesus is more than enough. We've heard over the summer, that Jesus offers new life and forgiveness to all who believe and receive the peace that comes from his shed blood on the cross and his victory over death. We've learned from this letter that in their church at that time, there were, there were people who thought that Jesus wasn't enough, that they wanted to add some things on. They, they were, there were some human traditions they wanted to add on. There were some deceptive philosophical concepts that they wanted to add on. They wanted Jesus and. They said, in order, you, you know, yeah, you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, but that's not enough. Paul is saying, Jesus is more than enough. Now, we have our own, our own tempting additions. And so, the beginning of, the, of Colossians, when we, when we hear about what the issues are, the second part of Colossians from uh, last week uh, on, is how do we live that out? And I've, I've titled the, uh, the message, The Virtue of Christian Community. We are meant to be, and this is the first fill-in on your sheet if you're doing that, we are meant to be a community that puts on Christ. That puts on Christ. That's what this is about. When you look at and you heard the, 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 the scripture read, you thought, 
Wow, that's a long list of stuff. Paul lists eight qualities that we are to emulate, that we're to act on, that we're to embody wherever we are. We're to be those things. And so we could be here a long afternoon, right? No, we're not going to be here a long afternoon. <laughs> I, I, I really put them down into five things that we need to do. So you have five, most people have five fingers. Not everybody does. But you have five, if you have five fingers or you have five toes, you know, whichever you choose, um, there are five things that God wants us to do. But I want, uh, there's eight qualities that are kind of squeezed in there that are a reality for us. What should the Christian community look like? Our church purpose is to worship God warmly, to care for one another in community, and to serve with significance. And those are all good things. But if we just talk about that within our own selves, among our own selves, what about the world out there that needs what we have in here? Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, well, that's all and good for you to say that, John, that this is what we have, but I don't have this. Jesus wants this for you. He wants it for me. He wants it for all of us. He wants it for everybody. He wants it for us. And he wants us to be a community that embodies that kind of life, that puts on Christ. When my daughter was about three uh, she had a kind of an interesting, uh, we had an interesting experience. We were at the YMCA in Biddeford. We were members at the time, and, and it was very convenient because they had free childcare. So when we worked out, we could put Alana, our, our eldest child, and at the time, our only child, into the, into the uh, childcare. And it was a childcare worker in there named Lori. She was great. She loved Alana. She was great at taking care of the kids. Thrived on the chaos of that. And uh, it was right around, around Easter time, and she said to us when we came to pick, her, pick Alana up, she said, she said, Alana just said the most amazing thing. And I was like, you know, what, what do you mean? And she said, well, she was telling me about Jesus. And she said that Jesus died on the cross and was buried and then got new clothes. When we talked to Alana uh, afterwards, she, she said, she, she, we were kind of, what did you mean by new clothes? And it wasn't what you think. Like everybody, when you hear that, you think, oh, she's thinking about, you know, you get a new outfit for Easter and all that. She was actually talking about Jesus coming out of the tomb with new clothes because his old clothes were lying there, right? There's this sense as a three-year-old only could share it, she was sharing the essence of the gospel and the excitement that she had about what she knew about Jesus. And she went beyond what she understood and she shared it with other people who didn't know. I don't know if Lori was a Christian or not. I don't think she was. And she was certainly not a churchgoer. But I think about all those people who are churchgoers and... Uh, uh, who aren't churchgoers, sorry, and what they think about what church is. And there's all kinds of wild ideas. There was a group of people in western Washington state who asked people to describe the church using six words. And they asked, they asked both people who, are, who go to church and people who don't. 
The people who go to church, they had the normal things. There was a short list. It was, a, it was right on. You know, it was about Jesus. It was about worship. It was about love. It was about community. It was about the peace of Christ. Uh, all those things. When, when you look at the list, and I won't list those, uh, there was a long list of things, a, 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 a very long list of things that the, that the people who didn't go to church uh, listed. And they did list love and community and God and Jesus, but here's some other things that they listed. False, pretense, controlling, judgmental, angry, fearful, hypocritical, hateful, disingenuous. That's just a few of them. And the temptation for us is, and, and you're probably, some of you are probably saying this right now, like, well, they don't, they, they're unbelievers, they don't know. Have they really been to church? Have they really experienced what church is like? Have they experienced a church like what Jesus is talking about? What Paul is talking about here? Is that, are they, so we don't, we don't have to listen to what they have to say. They're just kind of delusional. They don't really know what they're talking about. Before we get defensive or dismissive of those people, that is a reality, a perception we need to deal with. Because we know, because we've been in all of the, we've been in those churches, not here, never happened here, never been any conflict, never, people don't sin against each other, people don't gossip, don't, people don't, you know, all those things. That, that doesn't happen here, but in other churches I hear, right, there have been places where people have not looked like the church that Paul described. And so what Paul is saying here, when he was talking to this church that was, was racked with conflict, because these people who were in their midst saying, midst saying, Jesus isn't enough, that you need to have these other things too, when, when people in the church said, no, actually that's not what Jesus said, that's not what the scriptures said, they left in a huff, arrogantly, pridefully, but there was still this sense of us against them that was going on in the church. Paul doesn't write a letter to a church saying this is how we are to live out our lives without there being some reason for that. Right? So, in this very real credibility gap, Paul talks about eight virtues, eight virtues that we are to embody in the, in the body, in the, in the church, in the local church. How we are to interact with one another. Now in antiquity, there, there, it was common to have these lists of both of vices and of, of virtues, right? Uh, uh, many, many cultures. They, you can see them, you can read through them. You, you go on, Google that on, 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 uh, on, uh, on your computer at home sometime and to see just how many cultures did that and and Paul knew that like the culture he was speaking to that's how they thought about things make a list check it off yep 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 oh, maybe not yep 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 or I'm not doing that I'm not doing that I haven't done this today but I, I did that yesterday you know kind of all those things that you you know checklists right that's not what Paul is talking about Paul is not the point of what Paul is saying here is not to have a, a great long checklist of eight things that you should do He's saying, this is what you need to be. And how we become what God, the body, the church that God wants us to be is by making small decisions over and over 
and over again. N.T. Wright uses this as an example. The, uh, uh, Chesley Sullenberger III, the pilot who, uh, who landed the U.S. Airbus on the Hudson River a few years ago, he, was, he could do that because he had trained his instincts to know what to do in case of an emergency like that. He knew at that point it just came naturally. This is what I need to do. This is the safest thing to do in this situation. When we think about these qualities, we need to think about that. How are we building with the power of the Holy Spirit working in us? How are we building to be a church by the small decisions that we make in our interactions with one another and with the community? How are we becoming the people that God meant us to be. But before we get there, all of these things are not just uh, an effort list that we are to achieve. It's not, okay, I've been saved, now I just gotta work, 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 work. All of these things are rooted in who God is and the very qualities that God himself has and by the Holy Spirit promises to, unbelie- to believers, not unbelievers, to believers that we will grow in these. Our wills need to be in line with what the Holy Spirit is telling us. And, and second of all, not only that, but we are, we have an identity. The scripture starts out, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. Three things that God says we are, even though it doesn't look like we are. We are chosen. We are holy. We are beloved. All three things were used to describe Israel. In the church, Jesus was reconstituting the people of God. Reconstituting the people of God. You can look in the Old Testament and chosen and holy and beloved are used time and time and time again in the scriptures. We are a new community, a community that puts on Christ. So how do we understand these eight things? I'll get to the eight things now. First of all, I I broke them up, the, the, the first seven, into three categories. Number one, how we treat one another. This is how we treat one another. Compassion. Having hearts of compassion. The word is used as deep feelings that God has for all of us. And he powerfully shows it and shares it in those who follow him. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. The Lord is these things and we ought to reflect the Lord. Hearts of compassion. Actually, the actual word is bowels. It is this gut reaction, right? When you, when you see something on the television and you see a need, it's not just your heart that's broken. There's something in your gut that says, something is wrong about this and, I, and, and it needs fixing. It needs the love of God in it. Whether it's uh, Operation Tr- Christmas Child, promotion, which there'll be plenty of those coming up here in the fall, or something you've seen on TV, or, or even I'm thinking about those folks in, in New Orleans uh, here at the 10th anniversary of Katrina. 
of Hurricane Katrina, and they're still recovering from that devastation. There's something in your gut. My wife Laura was making fun of me because, you know, I've been to New Orleans seven times, seven or eight times actually, and and uh, and every time now I hear a story about the 10th anniversary, I'm like glued to the television or the radio, kind of listening, like, oh yeah, yeah, I know that place, I know what they're talking about, yeah, oh yeah, that's right. And hearing people's stories, it's it's there's something, there was something in my gut that said, I'm connected to this because. I am a follower of Jesus, and God wants to do something in that community. But not only compassion, but kindness. And kindness, you know, we don't really have a good word for this in English. It's, it's translated kindness, but the word is a spirit-produced goodness which meets the need and avoids human cruelty. Usually the way we talk about this is about being nice. It's more than being nice. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. They're paired together. The Lord's righteousness and his kindness. There's a goodness about it. It's not just being nice to appear nice. It's not just being, being on the outside nice or kind. It's about what goes on interiorly, how we treat one another, it, what happens inside is actually makes its way out into how we live together as the body of Christ. How we treat one another by com with compassion and kindness. Verse 12 continues with two other things. How we think about one another. How we think about one another. Humility and gentleness. Humility that's a tough one, isn't it? Philippians 2, 3, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And he says later on after that, Have in yourself the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, becoming a slave so that he might be exalted. Right? He emptied himself to become a servant. Humility. It is, humility is not saying, I'm worthless, I have nothing to offer, I am less, than, less than, uh, than, than I need to be. It is saying, this is who I am. It may be that you're less than you need to be. But it, this is who I am. I am neither more nor am I less. It's kind of hating yourself, debasing yourself, listening to that voice in your head that says, says, uh, says uh, you're worthless. That's not humility. That's a falsehood. That is a lie. Humility is thinking of ourselves as we really are. And how we think about others is to think about them as above ourselves. Gentleness is often, in the King James, it's, it's uh, translated meekness. Meekness kind of is kind of like nice. It's one of those words that we like, we, we like to avoid because it's been drawn. Uh, it's, somebody's, people have drawn away the actual meaning of it. It actually means gentle strength. Meekness, gentle strength. It expresses power with reserve and gentleness. 
Have you ever met, met someone like that? Not gentle as in wishy-washy or, you know, they'll conform to whatever happens around them, but gentle in the sense that there's a core strength about them that, keeps, that they just keep on the right road. You know there's something about them that's very approachable, very sincere, and very strong. That if you were to try to knock them off that path, they there would be significant resistance. To think about one another like that, think about the person next to you as having gentle strength. That's what Paul is calling them to do. Not as weak-minded as uh, so often, so, many, so often we, we, we start pointing the finger and saying, you're wrong because of, and that's not meekness. To treat one another with a gentle strength, saying, this is who I am in my humility, I am who I am, no, no more or no less, and those other people I need to treat with great deference and, and gentleness. Philippians 4, 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. What would it look like? Now, I know it's hard for people to see what you think right, and how we think about one another. But what would be the effect if we thought about one another with hum humility and gentleness in increasing measure because of the Spirit's work in us? What would that do for us as a church? We would be exalting Jesus, first of all. And because Jesus is exalted, people riding by, driving by, walking by, could not help but notice that there's something about this people that do this strange thing on Sunday morning, getting up at some ungodly hour in order to sing together, which people don't do unless they've been, uh, they've been lubricated quite a bit, Right? no other place do we do this activity and we do it because of Jesus and they know it the last time I was here a couple weeks ago there was a guy out on the on the on the sidewalk and he was just standing there and he was listening right and I'm trying like not to scare him away but I'm as I'm talking I was talking to him I'm praying you know Lord let this guy hear there may be somebody out there right now who's too afraid to come in the door but what if we, if they got a sense of Jesus in our humility and our gentleness toward one another? How we think about one another. That's the second thing. The third is how we act when mistreated. Again, never in this church has anybody been mistreated. right? But in other churches that we've heard of, people have been mistreated. How do we act in that? Verses 12 and 13. The end of 12 starts with patience and then make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. I put it into three words, patience, which is obvious, forbearance, and forgiveness. Patience is long passion. Not just kind of, well, I guess I just have to live through it. I'll have to endure them. How many times have we said that in our minds? I just have to endure this person or this situation. Patience is long passion. There's something engaging about it. It's waiting sufficient time in order for something to happen. Most often it's used around expressing anger. It's waiting before you use force 
whether verbal or, or, or physical, in reaction to something that's happening. It's holding back a bit and reserving judgment. And you know what that's like, right? You know, it's like the, sometimes it's like the, the, uh, the, the bottle of, of Coke, right? You kind of shake it up and you can see the pressure building, you feel the pressure building and it gets harder and harder. But you know what? You don't have to let go of it and let it explode. Patience is letting that Coke bottle settle back down. And then, if you need to, you can just, you just open it and you do what you need to do. Most things, most things, not all, are solved by patience. If we wait on the Lord long enough within the body, God will bring us to a conclusion of what we need to do or how we need to change or how we need to act toward one another. 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. There's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. This is Paul talking. But for that, for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Christ displayed his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Jesus just didn't do, do this to say, here you go. He said, here you go, and I want you to live this out too in how you treat one another, how you act, particularly when you're mistreated. Forbearance, bearing with one another, or here in, in, the, in the scripture, this morning in the version we have, make allowance for each other's faults. Wow. That is something that I struggle with. Um, other times I've told uh, from the pulpit about kind of my adventures in, in trying to, uh, to kind of dial back a bit when I'm driving, right? Because I will assign all kinds of, of, of uh, intentions on people driving around me, right? When they cut me off or or they're riding right on my bumper, right? And none, none of you have done that, I know. It's just kind of personal to me. But I don't show a lot of forbearance in those situations. But I, I, that's one thing I have been working at. Like, I, 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 have, I have a helper in that, not only the Holy Spirit, but I have a wife who, when I'm, she's in the car with me, will say, John, it's okay. It's all right. You don't know what's going on for them, right? You just, it's okay. We need to make those little decisions time and time and time again. It takes practice, spiritual practice for us in order to be, to allow the Holy Spirit to let this thing come forward and, and do more than we could imagine. God demonstrates his own love for, in, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Being willing even to suffer Driving is kind of, it's pretty innocuous. But when someone does something and we know it's wrong among us, how do we forbear that, the suffering that that causes? How, what do we do in that? And that leads to the third thing, which is forgiveness. Forgiving each other. Extending grace is really what it's about. The word for forgiveness actually has the word grace in it. Charis. Grace. 
freely giving favor to grant forgiveness or pardon. Jesus said this. He said, therefore I tell you about the woman who had uh, broken the, the, bottle of, the bottle of perfume, poured the bottle of perfume and, and, and anointed him with it. He said, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. It's a warning to us, right? It's an invitation to us as well. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive, the, we, as we forgive our debtors. Right? That is talking about, and, it, and it's actually in Luke, it's forgive us our sins as we forgive, even as we forgive those who sin against us. Right? So that's what it means. We are indebted to one another because of sin. So forgive as Christ has forgiven you. How we act. What would it look like if patience and forbearance and forgiveness were the ruling of the day rather than impatience, annoyance, and just intransigent, just bullheaded, I am not going to take it anymore and I am going to have nothing to do with this person. It would make the world a difference make the world a difference and it would change again how people see what we're doing and even if they never saw it we are exalting Jesus when we lean into these things about how we live as a as a as a community as we live as the body of Christ verse 14 gives the eighth one and it's the supreme one in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says it this way. He says, and now I will show you the more excellent way. Remember? And these three things abide, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. He says here in Colossians, he says to them a similar thing. He says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Put on love. This love is not a, hey, you know, if you, do, if you do something for me, I'll do something for you. I got your back. This is, a, this is the unconditional love of God that he has for us that we are to share with one another, among one another. A new command I give you, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you so that so you must love, as I have loved you so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And he says that that love binds them, all the other things together, and all the people together in perfect unity. The community is bound together in love. It's a close union. It's an identity that produces what God intended for the church. Members joined closely together. Paul uses the body as an image of it, right? Elsewhere in Scripture, marriage is the image. We are to be joined together. United in love, which binds them together, binds us all together in perfect harmony. Doesn't mean there is the absence of conflict, but when conflict comes, we say, you are loved of God, and I am going to love you. It isn't something about a feeling. It isn't about if I feel like it, it's about God's love dwelling in us and being expressed through us. And as we do that, 
we're to let two things, really two things that, that we're called to do. Verse 15, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. It's almost as if he was anticipating, look, I just I listed eight things, and you're going to take them, church, as rules in order to follow. You're going to take them as a checklist. He says, no, it's not about rules. It's about the peace of Christ ruling in your heart. He gives us that peace so that we are unburdened with this sense of I have to accomplish this all on myself, on, on my, by myself, all on my own, without any help. He gives us the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish this. And the peace he talks about, the peace that comes from Christ, is the same word that many Jewish people greet each other with, which is shalom. It's a sense of wholeness, a completeness. It's a blessing that they give. It's not some meaningless thing like it's like God bless you has come to be when people sneeze. It's not, uh, it's a blessing. It has depth and meaning. Shalom, I want wholeness for you. I want completeness for you in Christ. And he says if we let the peace that comes from Christ rule in our hearts, we will live as members of one body called to live in peace, called to live in that wholeness. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, is what Paul says in Ephesians. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh with the law, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Living out this life by how we treat one another, how we think about one another, how we act toward one another when we are mistreated, when we are united in love and living and letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. How can we apply this today? What can we do with this? It's not a, just a matter of effort, as I said. It's letting the message of Christ, verse 16, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. It's letting Him fill us. It's letting the, the message of Christ, the word of Christ, dwell among us. Inhabit us. Make a personal presence with us. How can we do that? We can do that in two main ways I want to I uh, suggest to you. One is to find people to talk about Scripture with. I'm not talking about what we're going to be doing with, uh, with the upcoming small group series, What on Earth Am I Here For? I'm not talking about putting a DVD in the, in the, you know, in the DVD player or the Blu-ray player and then watching that and then having a list of, of, of uh, prepared questions. I'm talking about committing to reading Scripture and then getting together and talking about it with Christians and non-Christians. But start with Christians first. That's one way to do it. 
Now, small groups are the more formal setting. This is what I'm talking about more informal. What if in every aspect of our life as a body, as a church, we were talking together about Scripture and about what we are learning about God and how God is changing us? The second thing is memorization. Some of the leaders are, uh, are going through experiencing God. Memorization is like that 1,000 decisions that are made before you get to the time where it really, really means it, right? Where you're, you're developing a habit and you're trying to do it. You're doing it over and over and over. And then when, when the time comes when you really need that habit, it's there. Boom. Right? That's what it is. When you are memorizing scripture, you're, com- you're coming into contact with situations in your life and you have the word there. Boom. I'm still working on this. And maybe, you know, you do some, one a week or something. Right? You memorize scripture. And, and, you know, I know we get hung up on what, what the scripture reference is. It's helpful for that. It's helpful for others when we're talking about it. But words of scripture are words of life. Could we do that? And then looking at every decision through the prism of God's word. Second of all, it says in verse 17, and whatever you do say, do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. When it says the name of the Lord, it's as directed by him. Words and actions that flow out of being in his presence. It isn't just saying the name of Jesus and it's got it covered, whatever it is. Because that doesn't work. Because there's people who can say Jesus and attach it to the things that Jesus never meant it to be attached to. Right? Whether inside or outside the church. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. It may start with once a day just being mindful of this, right? So at the beginning of the day, starting and thinking, okay, being scripture together, kind of reading from scripture scripture with the family or, or on your own. And being aware of his presence and saying, Lord, whatever I do today, Lord, help me to do it in your, in your name. And then, add to it after it, as it gets, as it gets easier to do it once, once you've established one, one a day, right? There's a, there's a program to, to uh, run 5K. It's called Couch to 5K, and I've known a few people who have done that. Uh, in the ministry that I was with previously, uh, some people in the, on staff developed uh, a couch, basically a couch to, uh, I forget what they called it, but it was, uh, it was an evangelism couch to 5K version, right? So it was, it was helping people to take little decisions and little steps in order to get to the goal, which is easily um, sharing Christ with people in a natural way. And give thanks Give thanks time and time again. All through this letter of Colossians, you see it. Thanksgiving. Give thanks with gratitude in your heart. It's all over the place. And we are to give thanks. And we give thanks to him now for what he's doing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Your word that gives us all that we need for life and godliness. Lord, we pray that we might be a community that treats one another with compassion and kindness as you have treated us.
Lord, we pray that we might be a community that thinks about one another with humility and gentleness because you have been that for us. Lord, may we act when mistreated with patience and forbearance of forgiveness because you have treated us that way. And Lord, may we be united in your love and live in your peace through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.